0: Folks, are coming around. Just want to say a quick hello, and um, if you haven't got a chance yet to check out outside, all the different ways to serve, because there's tons of stuff that's happening around um, restoration that we're to a point now we just can't announce it all in the service because it would be the entire message. And so it's, there's tons and tons of ways to serve and to get connected here at Restoration. So pay, pay attention to your um, program, too, to find out some other ways as well. So, how are we? Good? Good? Good. 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 Well, um, I was reading a story late last year in, um, in the northern part of Spain. There's this church... My dream vacation, by the way, is just go to go to Europe and just go to churches, old cathedrals one day. So if any of you are millionaires and you don't pay for that, just uh, let me know about that. Venmo me or something like that. I'd, I'd love to go. But but um, there's this church in Spain, and it's in the northern part of Spain. It's called the Church of San Igueda. And as many churches like that over there, they're old and they're you know starting to kind of get dilapidated. And it, as you probably know about Europe, the churches aren't as... As used as the church is here uh, the, there is a sharp decline in church attendance in europe it 's been that way since the '60s and in this church um, up at the up at the front there 's as there is in many cathedrals there 's this beautiful ornate um, statue of Jesus on the cross uh, being being crucified and and this old church they started to notice as they got closer over the years that there were some cracks that were forming inside this 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 statue of jesus and so finally they called up some Some historians, and they say, hey, listen, we need you to help us restore this very old cross. We want to have it in in pristine condition, so can we take it down and begin to restore it? So the historians come, and they look at this cross, and they see the the, the cracks in it, and they they take Jesus down off of the cross. And as they do that, through the cracks, they see some things moving inside the actual statue of Jesus. And so they, they take a closer look, and they peer through there, and they see that there's papers in there. And so they they start to get interested, and in the process of restoring it, they take enough of the cross off so they can reach inside and pull out these pieces of papers. And what they found were there were two letters that had been sealed inside of this statue of Jesus. They were written by a man named Joaquin Minguez, who was a chaplain at this church in 1777, and they're essentially letters to the future, giving the future. Whoever ended up seeing this cross broken open at some point would find out what life was like at this point in 1777 in northern Spain. So, There's lots of just kind of minor, boring details about here's what the crops are doing, here's how they're they're doing well, and we're growing this, and the little village is doing great. And there's also mention of like cholera and diseases that they're dealing with, and and even a, 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 a slight hint of the Spanish Inquisition, he mentions it in there. So it's an amazing picture of this is what life was actually like in this church, which many churches... Um, in europe especially lose sight of what life was like when the church was thriving and alive and, and 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 really moving in the community as it would have been in 1777 i've heard that story and i thought about the bible i thought about how we interact with the bible and that it's for many people in our culture it's this sort of monolith of 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 the past that we, we see and we hold at a distance and we, in some ways, revere it, but we very rarely get close enough to see the cracks and to look inside. And when we do, what we find is not just this religious document, not just this picture of our faith, but there's actually real people, there's real circumstances, there's real ideas that were changing lives many, many centuries ago, 21 centuries ago at this point, point. And so that's what we want to do in this new series we're calling Simple Gospel, is take the Bible, open it up to this specific passage, and look at the lives of real, genuine people, real struggles, and let this letter, this letter to the book of Galatians, do the same thing that this letter that they found inside the cross do. Give us a picture of what life was really like, because in it we can remember not just what happened, but we can remember who we are. So we're breaking into Galatians here. So if you have a Bible, you want to open that up. But just to give you a picture of what Galatians is like and about, it's the earliest that, that scholars think at least, it's the earliest um, letter in the New Testament. They think it was written around the year 48 AD, which is only 18 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So, in terms of historical accuracy, That's as close as any uh, documents in antiquity. Usually you think it's accurate if it's within 100 years. This is within 18 years of Jesus' life on earth. So it's incredibly accurate and very, very useful for for what we're doing here. The Apostle Paul, he wrote it. And it's it's written not just to one church in Galatia. Galatia is a region, so there's a, a lot of churches in that area that Paul, on his first missionary journey, Planted, they think that it's mostly in southern Galatia, which is now southern Turkey. So if you imagine Turkey on a map and look at the bottom, this is where these, these groups of churches were spread across that Paul had visited. And so this letter is written not just to one specific community, but several communities in southern Turkey, modern-day southern Turkey. And it's a very intentional, strong letter, as we're going to find out, because Paul had a big-time problem on his hands. As he's writing this letter to Galatians, he's writing it because after he left this missionary journey journey and planted these churches, some other missionaries came along and they had decided they were going to discredit Paul's ministry and his message and say, you know what, Paul, what you were teaching about Jesus was, was really not the full picture of Jesus. So they start teaching this young church who, who doesn't have a, a full picture of what the gospel is. They, they start leading them astray, and man, Paul is not having it. As you read through Galatians, as we walk through this together as a church, this letter does not play around. He is harsh. and some of his letters, he's like, oh, I thank God for you. I I miss you. I praise God every day for you. No, he just goes right in in Galatians, as we're about to see. So we're going to look in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. If you have a Bible, open it up. If not, it's going to be on screen. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of, God our, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the opener, and then it gets real. He says, I am astonished that you so quickly Deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Dang. Anybody ever written a letter that, that harsh or an email? Usually that's one of those kind of emails you type out and you feel really good and then you delete it before you get in really bad trouble for sending that email. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that before? Or a Facebook post? You type it out and you're like, yeah, I'm so pumped about showing them and then you delete it because you know that that's a bad idea and your job's going to see that one day and then you're going to get fired. So you don't do that. But Paul did not delete this. Paul wrote this out sent it to them, and and this is really hardcore, and Paul is passionately opposing what these people are saying. So, So we have to ask, what could merit such an aggressive response? He says that these people who came to Galatia were distorting the gospel, and they were making things that were simple very complicated. They're making things that were accessible to people inaccessible. So we need to ask them, what is Paul speaking of when he talks about the gospel and then how are they distorting it? So first of all, the gospel, that word literally means, as you probably know, it means good news. And it has a religious meaning today. We think of gospel music or we think of, of, of gospel teaching or what it may, it may be. But, but in the time of Jesus, and the time of Paul, the idea of gospel was really more of a political statement to say good news. It was an announcement of good news, specifically when when a king or a ruler or an emperor would have gone off into battle... They would go off and if they won the battle, then then they would send a herald, they would send a messenger out into their their subjects to say the gospel, to announce the gospel, the good news that their king, their ruler, had accomplished the mission, that he had won the battle. And so the gospel in Jesus' time was a very real, tangible reality that a king had Conquered. And so when we talk about the gospel, it's not just an idea or a philosophy. The gospel is actually an announcement of not something we must do, but it's actually rather what has been done for you by a king, by a ruler, by someone who has won a battle. So, do we have a king that's won a battle? Yes. Of course we do. That's what King Jesus has done. Paul preached, and this is a very revolutionary idea because it stood in the face of Caesar. It stood in the face of the government at the time to say, this is the true gospel. Not that Caesar has conquered, not that Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus is Lord that our King has conquered not just nations, our King has conquered sin and Satan and death. It's much better bigger than inviting Jesus into your little bitty heart. It is Jesus is Lord over everything. It was a very spiritually and politically subversive idea to say Jesus is Lord because he's Lord over every king, over every ruler, and he alone is the one that we will bow to. How did Jesus win this battle? Well, he comes not like any king of this, this world. He comes and he, he lives in this poor little city. He's born in a barn. He's, he's the most unlikely person to become a king he he begins his ministry and invites these fishermen and people that nobody would pick as his disciples and brings them along and teaches them this subversive a reality that he calls the kingdom of God. He gives them this this preamble, this constitution, this declaration of independence for this kingdom called the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to know what the kingdom is supposed to look like, read the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks that out to them. He calls them to it. He lives this life that we could not live in obedience. Then he dies a death that we, in our own sin, would have died in our place. And yet Jesus makes us alive by his resurrection. He triumphs over sin. He triumphs over Satan. He triumphs over death. And so when we speak of the gospel, the gospel is that announcement that Jesus has accomplished the mission. That's true for us today. So when we proclaim the good news of Jesus, you are not showing up here today for good advice about how to live something out. You're showing up to remember and announce that the fullness of what God has accomplished in Jesus is done. It is finished. You have all of the riches of his victory available to you today. It's good news. We've been made alive. The good news is our reality today. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Maybe you've heard these verses before. I I hope that you can hear them alive and afresh again. But if you don't know what grace is, grace is unmerited, unearned favor. It's giving you not what you deserve. Grace is giving you what you do not deserve, what you have not earned, what you have not bought yourself. It's giving you a gift. It is by definition a gift. So Jesus restores us to God. He restores us to to others. He restores us to ourselves, not by anything that we've done, but by His grace. Not through our works, but through faith in the grace that He offers us. It means that the good news, what makes it good news, is that you don't have to clean yourself up to get right with God. Do you know how often I hear that? I got to get this together and then, I'm, then I'll get there, right? Like, I need, I need to fix that one part of my life and then I'll, I'll come back to church and I'll, I'll kind of jumpstart my faith. And, and that is keeping a lot of people away from hope just because they think they have to figure out their own life before they come to Jesus. Listen, friends, your, your weakness, your, your pain is your strength in Christ. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and Jesus, and the grace of God cleans us up. Grace means that right here, right now, you are perfectly loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ. That's true right now. Not because of anything any of us have done. And I bet there's people in here that have done stuff. All of us have, haven't we? There's a bunch of hot messes in here. I think I can say that. Why did you look straight at me? Uh, <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> That's good news though is that we're relentlessly passionately deeply pursuing love as for us today. That's good news. So you see why Paul gets so angry, so heated, so aggressive when people are distorting that. When people think that they have to do more than just receive grace, Paul gets angry because that, getting that, changes everything. And you see that anger. And I hope that that maybe in some ways you feel that that disgust, that, that disorienting reality of if grace gets twisted by people, that is bad. That's what's happening. These people are leading them astray. What we learn in history is that these people that came after Paul, they're mostly, most of the time they're called Judaizers in, 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 in other places. And, and the reason is because they, they, they weren't these sort of like you know pagan worshiping devil worshipers that came in and said, hey, come on, worship the devil, let's do this. No, they weren't that. They were Christians who then said, because they were coming from Jerusalem, said that, yeah, believe in Jesus, but, but actually that's not enough. In order to really please God, you need to obey all the Jewish laws and customs as well. This is what they were saying. So so come to faith in Jesus. But if you really, really want to please God, if you really want to be a Christian, then, then you have to obey, obey all 613 Old Testament laws, including the Sabbath practices, including the dietary restrictions, including the customs of separation from the rest of the world. That's how you actually please God, is take that stuff on. And that's not good news, is it? That's not good news To have to figure out how to obey all of that stuff. And so these people are in Galatia. This is a different culture, a different context, all together. And they're trying to make them essentially become Jewish in order to become a Christian. Paul's angry. Now, there's two reasons why this is, this is really destructive, why Paul is angry and why we too should pay attention to this. The first is, is, is more of a spiritual reason, and, and that's because it puts our focus on our performance. It puts our focus on, on our faith in Jesus, it's basically try harder Christianity. It's do more Christianity. It's You aren't measuring up Christianity. And that, as I said earlier, is bad news. Do you know that there's a difference between having faith in Jesus and having faith in your faith in Jesus? Do you know what that is? To have faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for you on your behalf means that that is an unmovable reality. That grace does not move. But if you have faith in your faith in Jesus, every time your faith falters, and it will, you will think, I'm losing faith. And I must be struggling here. I must be, be missing the point. And then you move to places of doubt because your faith actually has never actually been in Jesus. It's been in your ability to, to follow him. And you will fail. We all will, won't we? Many of the struggles I wonder how, that we face in this, this, this life and our faith is, is less from Jesus not letting Jesus down, but letting the idea of what we're supposed to be down, but putting our faith in ourselves to live up to something that we will never live up to instead of saying, Jesus, it's not my performance. It's actually your performance that I'm putting my trust in. It's your life, your death, your resurrection that sustains my faith and not how good I'm doing at it. Because if that's the case, we all are screwed. (laughs) We're screwing up all the time, aren't we? Of course we are. But what Jesus has done does not change based upon how good or bad we are doing. That's what makes it such good news. Is that his faithfulness to us is not determined by how good or bad we are doing. We need today to take our faith out of our faith in Jesus and maybe for the first time put our faith in Jesus to do what only he can do. There's another reason though. There's another subtle reason why Paul is so passionate about this beyond the spiritual reasons of our faith. It's that these people in Galatians they were, they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And so if they had to become Jewish in order to become Christian, they, they essentially had to lay aside a lot of the cultural identity they had. It's, it's essentially cultural imperialism. They, they had to become a different culture in order to become a Christian. Now that, that, that's, that's something maybe you haven't thought about, but it's something that happens all the time today. In order for you to, to become a Christian, you have to take on certain parts of cultural identities that are placed upon you in order to really fit in. So for these Galatians, for them to fit in, they had to get circumcised Mm -hmm. They had to do dietary restrictions. They had to do all these things just to fit into what God was supposed to be doing there in their community. And it was a barrier, a cultural barrier to actual faith in Jesus. This happens a lot. If you put cultural barriers in front of people that they don't have to cross. For instance, if you think to be a good Christian you have to be American. That's a cultural barrier. That's a that's a barrier you're placing on somebody. If you think that you have Jesus, yes, faith in Jesus, but then you have to vote Republican or Democrat? That's a cultural barrier that you're placing on somebody. Or it's Jesus, but you also have to support this cause. Or maybe if, if it's a real Christian If you're a real Christian Then, then you, you speak in tongues You're not spiritual enough You don't have the fullness of God Unless you're speaking in tongues I've had that spoken over me before maybe, maybe if you're not wealthy Then obviously God doesn't favor you God's favor isn't on your life Because you don't have wealth and power like I do That's the prosperity gospel That's all over TV Or maybe it's King James Version only I was in a bookstore a couple weeks ago, and uh, Half Price Books, is, which is essentially my temple. And uh, I've been cut off by my wife from going to Half Price Books. Um, but but uh, well, I was standing there, and, and there's, there's two sections. There's like the, the Christian book section. There's the Bible and theology section. So I'm, I'm standing there, and there's these two guys, and they're talking. And I could tell that they just met. And they're standing by the Bibles. And he's looking through one. The guy that's looking through the Bibles, you can tell he's not somebody that has this you know, big-time idea about, you know, what, what translation or what he needs or whatnot. So this guy comes in, and he sees him take off an NIV, which is what I'm using actually today. And he, he's looking at it, and this guy walks up to him. He says, is that an NIV? And he said, yeah. He said, let me tell you something, young man. If I had my choice, I would burn every single one of those NIVs in this place right now. So let me, let me show you the King James Version Bible right here. This is, the, this is the only true and absolute testament of God's will in the entire universe. And I walked away because it was about to be fisticuffs in a minute. I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. But even something like and there's nothing wrong with the King James Version. If you use the King James Version, that's great. But it's not the only way. In fact, there's way more accurate versions out there that we have from scholarship. But you do you with that. But it's that kind of religion. It's Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus this equals what real life should be that we add on to somebody else. And Jesus plus anything at all is dead religion. Adding anything to faith in Jesus is a dead religion. Religion—it It is pulling you down. It's making your lifestyle and your voting record and your social media posts and your service projects and your causes and your religious busyness and all this stuff. Your performance becomes the focus and not Jesus himself. Anything you add to Jesus is dead religion because Jesus is enough. Faith in Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient in and of himself. And faith in Jesus, faith alone in Jesus is sufficient. You know, we say around here all the time that we believe Jesus is restoring people who restore the world. That's our mission statement. And, and, and you know, as you see, as you look out at the service proxy and you hear about stuff today, you, we, we've kind of gathered this community of people that, that we are fired up about just going out and doing stuff, man. We're fired. This is a community that wants to make a difference. That it's, I mean, people, we have people working in the homeless community, people working uh, with, with addiction, just tons and tons of stuff across the city. I love it. This is a bunch of people that are just ready to go. They're sick of sitting on their butts and letting that be church and really wanting to make a difference. I love that about our church. But there's a subtle danger There's a really subtle danger in a church like ours that that if what we do for God, if we allow what we do for God, like the good things, these amazing things, things that are amazing to become more central, more real, more driving than what God has actually done for us in Jesus, then we lose the heart of the gospel. If we even let good things stand in the way of God, then we lose the gospel. It's only... The thing that can restore us, the only thing is is grace. And I I hope that what we're doing, the the great things, we're not out serving with the idea that if we just do one more service project or one more thing out in the community, that that's finally going to please God and I'm going to make up for this insufficiency in my life. No, no. Only receiving the grace of Jesus is actually going to do that. There's a a danger in forgetting that when we're helping moms and families overcoming addiction, when we're helping homeless teenagers and giving them welcome home kits, and we're bringing school supplies for our neighborhood, we're we're in danger of thinking that that they need grace, they need this grace, and we give it to them, but that we actually don't need that ourselves. That's the real danger to our hearts in these places. That if grace puts us on this level ground with the prostitute up the street, it puts us on level ground with this meth addict that's in jail right now, or the single mom that's struggling to get by down the street, we need the grace of God as much as the people that we serve. And if we lose that, we lose the heart of the gospel. This is not a place as a church that that we come and celebrate how much we have it all together, is it? This is a place that what you be- makes you belong here, what makes you a part of the community of faith, is saying, I recognize today that as much as anyone else out there, as much as my enemies, as much as the people I want to change, I need your grace, Jesus, as much as anyone else does. I need it today. The cross puts me and you at level ground with everyone else. Grace puts us at the same level as anybody else Republican, Democrat, black, white, rich, poor, married, single, drug addicted, clean, conservative, liberal. The beauty of the church is that all of these people are coming up here and taking a piece of this body and a piece of this blood and taking it and receiving Christ together. The world cannot make sense of that kind of unity. It cannot. Every week we are walking in here, and you may not know it, but you're taking communion, walking down, and taking the body of Jesus with people that I bet you disagree with passionately on issues. And that's beautiful. That is beautiful. That's the mystery of Jesus' body we call the church, that grace is putting everybody at the same level at the foot of the cross, and that's why it's good news It's good news today, it was good news then, and it's good news we need to celebrate. You see why Paul is so passionate to make sure nobody gets dead religion tacked on to this beauty of grace offered to everybody. See, we recognize that in our name, restoration, that's what we want to bring. We want to receive restoration. And we can't offer the world what we aren't receiving ourselves. It's grace alone that brings restoration. And so if we want to give grace to this world, if we want to give grace to moms and families and kids in this neighborhood, we have to be the kind of people that can receive that grace ourselves. You may believe today in the grace of God. But my question for you, I don't know where you are, but have you received it? It's one thing to believe it, to believe it exists. Have you received it? Have you said, today, Jesus, I'm laying down my performance. I'm laying down my good, and I'm laying down my bad. I'm coming to you because I need grace. I can't earn it on my own. I need good news today that I don't have to follow the patterns of this world and climb my way up to the top, but I can come to you at the level ground at the foot of the cross and receive grace and be made alive in your life today. The kind of people that try to bring grace to a world that haven't received it themselves are the kind of people that burn out and are driven to places of, places of despair and cynicism. So if you recognize that in you today, if you recognize any piercing place of, of doubt or cynicism or, or hurt, it may be because you have tried to offer grace to a world that you have not received for yourself. And So I encourage you today as we take a time of response here that you would go to God. Go to Him and just say, I give up. With this performance mentality, today is a day I finally want to lay down my performance and trust in what you've done for me, Jesus. And if that's you, I don't know if you've considered yourselves a Christian or for, for 30 years or if you've never taken that step in faith. This is, this is a response for everybody. Have I just simply received grace from me? That's where the following Jesus begins that's where following Jesus continues. It is both the way and, and the destination that we are heading towards. So let me pray and let's take communion and enter into a time of response. Jesus, today we have good news. I recognize today, God, that we are sold dead religion all over the place, day in and day out. Whether it be our jobs, or our families, or our friends, there are expectations put on us that we feel like we could never live up to. And that burden we carry into places like this where we focus on you and we think, God, you're just like everything else. There is this level that I have to reach that I feel like I can never attain. The good news is today, Jesus, that we don't have to live that way anymore. That today you offer us in our weakness, at our worst, in our brokenness, in every dark and broken place within us. You give us grace to make us alive. So, Jesus, we bring our struggle. We bring our dead religion. We take these elements today, we lay those down at the foot of the cross. May today be the day, maybe for the first time, that we don't just believe good news, that we receive that good news for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were doing